Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about handling an abuse disclosure in the context of a local church. But before we jump into today's content, let me remind you of all of the other ways that you can connect to PeaceWorks. The PeaceWorks Podcast is a great way to learn and connect to the material we have at PeaceWorks, but there are other avenues for you in particular, PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership website that uh, you are uh, invited to be a part of. There's a vault of past material, hundreds of hours of material uh, from video to uh, toolbox items, written handouts, worksheets, all kinds of material. If you benefit from the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your next logical step to grow in your response to domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. All right, well, let's jump into today's content. Uh, As I said at the uh, opening, I want to talk about disclosures today. I received a couple questions about how the church should respond to disclosures. And to be quite honest, there's a, a great deal of confusion that still exists within the church and in the counseling and people-helping community uh, based upon what does one do with a disclosure. Now, before, before we jump you know, into the nitty-gritty, into the particulars of it, let's talk a little bit about uh, abuse and how it breaks down and how there are going to be different responses for different aspects of abuse. So abuse, again, is this catch-all term, this term that we use to kind of help us understand the construct of somebody using power to control another. And it is important to remember that some acts of coercion, threat, um, power over behavior are criminal, right? And others um, exist outside of criminal behavior. But in the church, we know that sin, right, is sin is existing within these concepts. And so every aspect of abuse is sinful, but not every aspect of abuse that is disclosed to us is criminal. And then on the same vein with that, there are criminal offenses that do require an immediate specific response. And there are other offenses that, although illegal, do not require the same level of response. And so it gets a little tricky in that I think a lot of times church leaders, people helpers, biblical counselors, and some other uh, counselors would prefer a formulaic, one-size-fits-all. When abuse is disclosed, this is what you do. But unfortunately, to have such a policy is dangerous and can actually hurt, uh, harm the victim more than it helps. Uh, Let me give you a quick example of that. and this seems to happen quite a bit when abuse is disclosed or discovered or uncovered in a Christian organization. So a few years ago, one particular case, I won't give the specifics, but a particular set of cases blew up. Uh, One 
prominent Christian leaders' mishandling of abuse disclosures uh, came to light. And as a response, organizations began to release statements. You've heard me talk about this before, but it, it is worth repeating. Organizations released statements, seemingly written by lawyers, encouraging Christians to report everything. That if you are privy to abuse, report, report, report. And it lacked the nuance that good, well-informed, experienced responses um, would require. And it really lacked the education that those inside the church and outside the church that have been working in the abuse world have tried to offer. And so today I want to offer a little more clarity on that. So there are some church leaders and some counselors who have been asking me, okay, Chris, what do I do with a disclosure? Because I'm confused. Do I call the authorities or do I not? Do I confront the perpetrator or do I not? And the reason why the questions are coming up is for many of them, their knee-jerk immediate reaction or their past protocol has dictated that anytime there was an abuse disclosure, they call the police. Or anytime there was an abuse disclosure, they confront the perpetrator. Let me give you a, a little more clarity on that. So some Christian organizations, in an attempt to serve victims well, have written policies that require immediate law enforcement intervention. The policies are well-meaning, but they're ill-informed, as we're going to talk about in a moment. And sometimes uh, law enforcement involvement is necessary, and sometimes it is dangerous, depending on the type of case you're working, and I will try to clarify. Other churches and ministries have been operating on a less... uh, a less well-articulated policy, but I think an assumption that's based somewhat on scriptures like Proverbs 18, 17, uh, I think, you know, um, not well applied. I think Proverbs 18 is a wonderful proverb. I would encourage you to read the whole thing. Uh, but some have kind of taken that one verse to then encourage their ministry leaders to get both sides of the story or to immediately um seek the input of the abuser, which is also incredibly dangerous. So I think those two responses have kind of been a a normal, or I should say a common response among the church in handling a disclosure. One, we report everything. Two, we involve everyone involved, right? And so what one does is possibly place the victim in more danger um, by involving outside sources too soon and reporting without her consent. And it also um, makes decisions for the victim rather than involving or empowering the victim. The other, right, also increases the danger to the victim and adds potential collusion to the mix by um, inadvertently perhaps, or even possibly overtly and directly making this a marriage problem. So, Uh, Hopefully, this will help answer at least some of the questions. I don't consider myself the standard standard bearer, but I do have some information that might be helpful to you if you're a biblical counselor, pastor, or ministry leader. Let's go back again by talking about what are we addressing? What is being disclosed? 
To simply say abuse was disclosed is not enough information to help us navigate next steps of disclosure. So one of the things that I want to press into and ask you to consider what was disclosed. And let's start with um, the, the most obvious aspects of abuse that require um, immediate attention. Uh, let's begin with child sexual assault. So a, a minor associated with your church has been assaulted by a staff member, a volunteer, or a family member, and you are made aware of that assault. It was disclosed to you. Say, um, example might be one of the teens in the youth group um, meets with the youth pastor and his wife or um, the youth leader and her husband and discloses um, an act of abuse that occurred um, within her family. Uh, because there's a minor involved, um, my understanding, I don't think there's a state exempt from this, although state laws are a little bit different. Um, in fact, you need to know your state laws because I actually think perhaps in the state of Ohio, um, there would be a lot more freedom, say, than the state of West Virginia where I'm at. For me, receiving a disclosure like that would require care, concern, comfort, and intervention. And so, I would need to be having conversations with Child Protective Services. And so I'd be calling friends at Child Protective Services uh, to build a plan of intervention. Uh, what's my next step as a pastor? What's your next step as a social worker to ensure the safety of this child? Because when you're dealing with child sexual assault that is occurring um, and you receive that disclosure, then it's imperative that you intervene from a legal and criminal and pastoral standpoint. This would be one of those intersections of Romans 13 um, that is really, really clear. I hope that makes sense. So in that first sphere, child sexual assault, uh, intervention is necessary once we receive a disclosure. And, and for me, that would be a call to um, CPS. Uh, secondly would be sexual assault of an adult. Um, this would be a disclosure of rape, a disclosure of assault, and if it occurs within the confines of the church, meaning it is a church member or uh, more specifically church staff, if it's church staff, then I think you have a greater obligation to pursue disciplinary action, um, but you also need consent from the victim. This is where it gets um, a little bit difficult. I mean, if you get a disclosure of sexual assault, uh, rapacious behavior, and you're dealing with an adult, then one of the things you want to do is resource that adult, uh, give her options. And some options for her would be um, the numbers of the rape or violence crisis center in your area, uh, could be local law enforcement, could be the connection to a victim's advocate or to a counselor that you know has experience in sexual assault. Now, also don't think that a handoff is sufficient because if you're dealing with things like rape and sexual assault, there's criminality there. So you don't wanna just do a handoff and think you're done. You wanna follow up with any referral sources. They may not be able to disclose to you information that is particular or specific to the case, but they can inform you about 
um, their informed consent, and then who they have talked to. And so I do think it's important, one, in childhood sexual assault, that that report is made immediately, uh, as soon as possible, I should say, to Child Protective Services, um, and you be part of any intervention that, that they need help with as a team member. If you're dealing with rapacious behavior with an adult, an adult who is a victim, then you're going to want to connect them to proper services and follow up because that chain, that link to law enforcement is going to be important, but it's also important that they have the agency uh, to pursue that. Connecting them to crisis resources like a rape or violence center, an advocate, and a, a skilled counselor will help you do that, okay? Um, and then, of course, there's, there's things that happen on the church property that would need to be reported immediately. Um, there are uh, witnessing acts of violence and abuse that are um, criminal would require um, an immediate intervention. I'll give you an example. Uh, we had a church that um, had a kidnapping occur in their parking lot that was part of a domestic violence or domestic abuse um, situation. And uh, they, you know, of course, when somebody witnesses somebody being forced into a vehicle against their will, you call law enforcement. You don't think at that point, oh, well, this is an adult who has agency. At that point, they don't, right? You're witnessing a crime. It's important to, to report. We're talking about disclosure. So again, a child or a minor discloses, that requires an immediate response. An adult discloses, it requires conversation and resourcing um, with a few nuances. If you witness a crime, it occurs on the church property, that could be different. Um, and of course, every state is slightly different. When it comes to uh, child abuse or neglect, those are things that we witness most often in churches, we have our suspicions, uh, disclosures made to a Sunday school teacher or a BBS worker. Um, children show up at church camp and or um, BBS events, and they're not well cared for. And there are concerns among the volunteers and the staff. That is an appropriate time to make a referral and call CPS. Um, examples such as children who are not bathed, um, children who show up without proper um, clothing to, uh, to services, children who um, maybe have lice. That happens surprisingly a good bit. Children show up at, at church camp or some kind of day event and, and they have lice or some other um, pest-related issue uh, in their clothing or, you know, and you care for that immediate need when you can, but that's also something where you would need to make a, uh, a call, I would, I would recommend, because we're dealing again with minors, with children. Uh, in regards to past abuse, um, there, you are limited. So if you get a disclosure from a, you have a client, uh, she is a 28-year-old female, or a 30-year-old male who discloses childhood sexual assault. And they disclose in the uh, pastoral counseling room that they were assaulted by their uncle when they were eight years old. Uh, those are reportable in most states. Um, are you the one that goes and makes the report? No, it would be one of those referral options, one of those resourcing options. 
to let them know, hey, this was, this was a crime. This was not your fault. This was a choice that was made by, a, by a, a person in your life that should have cared for you, and they didn't. And one of the resources you could offer is um, to help them fill out a police report. Um, there's no guarantee that those will be pursued, and, and everybody needs to have realistic expectations. But if that could be a helpful next step, then you have the ability to offer that um, as a pastor or as a counselor. So I know in 20 minutes or so, I'm not going to be able to cover everything. And I think, I think I've clearly articulated that when we're dealing with minors, whether it be physical abuse, neglect, or sexual abuse, we have a high moral obligation to report. Rapacious behavior, we have a high moral obligation to connect to services and to report. So sexual assault, rapacious behavior carries a high emphasis on connecting to services and law enforcement in Romans 13. Domestic abuse, um, spousal abuse is quite distinct in that um, we handle disclosures quite a bit differently. And I would say this is the area that causes some confusion among uh, pastors and biblical counselors who who think, okay, well, if it's illegal behavior, then I need to get law enforcement involved. And, and generally speaking, that is a true statement, but um, when you're dealing with an adult who's experiencing uh, domestic violence or domestic abuse, uh, there's a few, few things you need to consider. This is also difficult for some individuals who, um, who, who maybe don't participate in the work as, um, as frequently as others and who are confused when a church doesn't um, report disclosures and of domestic abuse, thinking also that why wouldn't the church do that? And they may be operating under some of the same standards and some of the same principles that I operate under that it could be more dangerous to report. So let me kind of walk through what a domestic abuse disclosure would require if um, a victim uh, has the courage to disclose acts of domestic abuse consistent with uh, the power and control will, for instance, uh, whether it be physical violence, uh, could be sexual violence within the context of marriage, it could be emotional abuse, it could be coercion and threats, or so on, then what is the counselor or the pastor responsible to do? And the very first thing that I think we are responsible to do is to operate within the vein of respect. Like, one of the one of the things that we have done in the past that I think is detrimental is we have begun to investigate rather than appreciate. And what I mean by that is put off the investigatory hat, it, you know, the thinking of is this true and what do I do next, and put on the appreciate hat that says I am thankful that you're trusting me with this information. We often say believe the victim, and some folks struggle with that because um, the victims do lie. Everyone lies to one degree or another. And so some people helpers will say, well, I, you know, if, if the story doesn't match, if there's uh, falsehood in the story, then, you know, I can't just uh, carte blanche believe. I just can't believe everything. And no one is saying believe every word or take every word to the bank or hold someone accountable to everything that they said. What is being said in believe is to listen 
and to trust the information, right? That this information is valuable and important and very difficult for them to speak. And so when I say believe, I'm talking about respect um, what is being said. Don't worry about parsing every word in this person's paragraphs. Think about the heartbeat of what's being said. Uh, don't ask for proof. Uh, it's really not your place to prove or disprove uh, aspects of abuse. At this point, when you're receiving a disclosure, again, taking off the investigatory hat and putting on the appreciative hat. Uh, assure, like in every case of abuse, that that treatment was not warranted, that it's not your fault, that if someone is in the context of a marriage coercing you sexually or intimidating you physically or demeaning you uh, emotionally, that that's really not your responsibility. Obviously, everyone has responsibilities. And I'm sure the victim does not come without sin, but in the context of abuse, it's, it's practically irrelevant, right? A person's sin or um, habits or personality does not entice or create abuse. That is the choice of the abuser. And so you can reassure at the point of disclosure, hey, it's not your fault. Uh, reassure that, that you want to respect uh, their wishes and desires. And this is where I come at this with, you know, even if I get a disclosure, okay, you know, last week, you know, my husband threatened me, right? He, he threatened me um, and he intimidated me and I get specifics. He punched a hole in the wall. He called me uh, horrible names. I want to resource that person. Hey, you know, would you like to um, consider an emergency order of protection? Would you like to get connected with an advocate? Those are things that I would offer, but that is not, even though, let's say the act was, was potentially criminal, right? Punching a hole in the wall, threatening speech, it could be, it could be chargeable in some places as domestic assault. Uh, it may not be, and there runs a risk that nothing would happen. But if I run ahead of that victim, and I pursue reporting to law enforcement, I could put her in more danger. And one, if she's not ready to go and she's not ready to report, then I've just broken that trust that, that she gave to me. She's willing to talk to me and I just broke that trust by doing an end round uh, to protect my, my own self by some sense of necessity. I have to report. I have to report. In that case, I don't. In most places, most cases. I will say there are a couple states that that particular scenario I lined out would have a, a couple fine lines. But in most states, um, that type of disclosure, we are not required to report. But I do think it's moral and ethical for us to resource, to give the victim options. So uh, respect and appreciate, not investigate. Uh, the other thing I want to know is if there are children involved, and if there are children in the home, then I want to emphasize uh, the effects of witnessing violence on kids. I want to make sure that the victim understands that you know the kids are present. That's another layer of responsibility, another layer that we have to talk about. Um, I want to discuss those concerns with. Um, the proper people in my circle, 
So I wouldn't be disclosing so much as I would be asking questions to make sure, hey, if this were occurring, um, you know, what are my responsibility to the kids, that type of thing, without um, stating any facts about the individual or disclosing any information. But if there are kids involved, I want to make sure I'm clearly articulating that there are other um, things to consider here with the kids. And again, I'm not being persuasive. I'm just wanting to make sure that we've covered information about kids who witness violence. Uh, if there's no kids, uh, or if there are kids, I guess the next thought is, is the victim in this case in immediate danger? So that's where a dangerousness and lethality assessment comes in handy. I won't have time to go through that on the podcast today, but we do have one in PeaceWorks University. Um, and there are just simple steps to walk through to see if this individual is in immediate danger. And if there is a threat of uh, loss of life or immediate harm, um, then we want to go back to discussions of safety and safety planning. Be aware that any information um, may put the victim, you or uh, other people that work with the victim, in danger. Um, be guarded by what the victim wants, not what you be guided, excuse me, what the victim wants, not what you think they need. So again, safety is about the victim first and what they want. Uh, if you think their life is in danger, then you can strongly encourage, or you may have to make a statement. I'm so concerned that he's going to kill you that I'm going to call the authorities and then we're going to to go from there, but I really hesitate on a disclosure going directly to um, authorities. And then also consider where you're at time-wise and um, location-wise um, as you're making a safety plan. Uh, and safety plans are really important because they may be the next step to helping the victim find a means of escape. Um, document everything you can, um, keep it safe, um, supply the information that you have available about shelters and law enforcement. Inform them that this information, uh, if discovered by the abuser, could be dangerous. So it needs to be kept in a safe place. Um, and uh, maybe even with the safety plan or a go bag that, that might be part of that. Make a referral um, to those proper sources, like I said. I guess, let me come back. If the victim discloses and you listen and respect, and they do not want to take any further action. Uh, and you have done everything that you know to do, then you have done everything that you can do at this point. And it is okay to continue to serve them while they um, wrestle with their next steps. Your time's been well spent. You haven't wasted time because a victim hasn't done what you want them to do. In fact, that's the last thing we want. Victims of domestic violence already have somebody telling them what to do. They need empowerment, and you could be a key piece to that. So I hope that helps. I know I've spent a lot of time just wrestling through this, but when it comes to cases of child abuse, neglect, uh, child sexual assault, those are instances where those disclosures require an immediate response. Uh, if we're dealing with adults, there's aspects of agency that you need to consider. Some aspects of sexual assault and rapacious behavior should be reported to the authorities. Get familiar with your local laws and talk to your church about policies that are consistent with that. In areas of domestic and spousal abuse, 
um, you are less, less, there's less pressure to report because in most states we understand that immediate reporting uh, can actually do more damage um, and, and harm to the victim. And so resourcing is your proper response. One last thing as I land the plane today is uh, questions of third-party reporting. Um, third-party disclosures in the context of a local church, say you're the pastor of a church and a third party um, tells you of something happening in your church, then that would be investigating would be a proper response. I would encourage you not to go guns blazing, as it were, trying to find out that information, um, but be wise and uh, shrewd, as the scripture says. Third parties outside of your local church, like somebody who comes to their counselor and says, hey, my friend um, Judy is suffering and her church isn't doing anything, will you go talk to her church? Most counselors will tell you it's there's too many disconnects there. There's too many dots to connect there, and that would be uh, possibly dangerous. So keep that in mind too, that you're dealing with disclosures that are given to you or within your circle, okay? Whew. All right, well, I think that will do it for the PeaceWorks podcast today, and I appreciate you guys listening. We will probably cover this topic again, but for counselors, Christian counselors, biblical counselors, pastors, my hope is that we will become better at managing the nuanced and varied responses to cases of abuse. Thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast today, and until next time, God bless.